Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's up, everyone? This is the Ty and Bob Pod at GoLong at GoLongTD.com. Pleasure to have you listening. As always, this podcast dissects the Green Bay Packers game. We've got a lot of new subscribers, Bob. So after checking it out for the first time, thank you so much for making this part of your life. That New York Giants uh, series that we had kind of took on a life of its own. And uh, we're so fortunate that our community kind of kind of blew up um, without getting too far into the weeds, Bob, it was, it was our most successful um, story to date in terms of generating new subscribers. So if you're listening and you're one of those new subscribers, holy cow. I mean, I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for going long. Um, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to Bob. And we're always just trying to tell you a story that you can't get anywhere else, you know, whether it's in the long form, whether it's in the podcast, and we do have three different podcasts, the main flagship go long podcast with Jim Manos. Uh, he's worked in NFL front offices for two decades, the Eagles, the saints, and as the director of personnel for the bills. And now he's going to be working at the XFL. In addition to, well, he's still going to pod with us. They're not making him. I give that up, which is nice. Um, so you get a perspective that you really can't get anywhere else. He really looks behind the curtain. Um, we had the Isaiah McKenzie show, the Buffalo bills, wide receiver returner, had the game of his life against the Patriots, uh, and that's free to everybody. That's up at golongtd.com. He really got into what it was like to get benched a month ago, to really be made a scapegoat. I mean, Sean McDermott just just benched him after one fumble, and I think it was like 131 touches when they got blown out by the Colts. Then um, they needed him with uh, COVID rampaging through the receiver room, and he stepped up. So um, Isaiah did not hold back there. And then obviously the show you're listening to here now with Bob McGinn, Hall of Fame sports writer, has covered the Green Bay Packers over the course of six different decades. Do I have that right, Bob? Since since the 70s, uh, he's just going to give you a perspective you can't get anywhere else as well. So uh, that's uh, the quick rundown on what we do here in the podcast world. And this is only ex- this is totally exclusive to go long subscribers. So if there's somebody in your life that wants um, to learn a little bit more about the Green Bay Packers and then really the NFL. We, we do get into uh, other things 
around the Packers throughout the league as well. Um, get in and subscribe. We appreciate it. Okay. I'm out of breath, Bob. How was your Christmas? Good Christmas? Successful? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was up in uh, Green Bay seeing, seeing all my kids, and that was fun. Grandkids had a great time there. Um, so I was on the road when I read your giant two-piece uh, epic, Tyler, and it was fantastic work. You really worked your ass off on that thing. Uh, Thanks. You talked to so many people. It was just a wonderful thing. And I know our new, our new New York listeners here really appreciate it as well, and that's why they're on here. And uh, we'll try to make it worth their while. You got that right. We're always doing it. We're always trying. Let us know what you think. Um, I really got to dive back into the comments section on, on the podcast tab at Go Along. We've got a lot of uh, thoughts, a lot of questions from readers. So promise we will dive into those soon. It's been a while, though, Bob. And the, the, the Packers play the Browns on God saturday and it doesn't feel like it was months ago i feel like so much has changed in the world yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind of does let me mention one thing for the new york uh, listeners okay t t yeah i remember when i got on the beat full time in 84 and that's when parcells was and lawrence taylor and george young were getting it going and tim rooney and tom boister and all those immortals really and i remember talking to those guys at super bowls and on the phone trying to find out how Green Bay could ever become a New York Giant franchise. Uh, all through the 70s and all through the 80s, Green Bay was the pits of the, friend of, the, of the league. They had no idea what winning was all about. And I would talk to those guys, and they'd give me at Super Bowls. I'd run around those Super Bowls and talk to their players, Billy Yard and various players um, who later became a Packer. So now I'm just saying, you know, just look at the way these two franchises have changed now. Now, when I'm going to be discussing at length the Packers and the New York listeners, they can kind of, I mean, I'm not, I've seen it both ways. And now I'm, now we're, I'm covering a team that is at, you know, the top of the barrel and has been for a long time. And maybe as they listen, they will just understand the way a good team does things and the way the poor team they follow does things. And I know I've been on the, I've lived the other side of this thing. So that might be kind of an interesting perspective. No doubt about it. I just was thinking about the, the structure of the franchises too. And, and a big problem with the Giants is the fact that the Maras, their fingerprints are everywhere. Um, and it's something I don't know if a lot of, of fans realize because, you know, Jerry Jones is the one that's easy to tear down because he's so loud. He's so boisterous. He's so opinionated. He makes no bones about it. He's the GM of the team even though lately Will McClay is definitely throwing his weight around. And I think that's why the Cowboys have the talent they have. Um, but you don't really hear about that with John Mara and, and, and Steve Tisch. And, and you don't really hear about them um, being anything but the model franchise. So I think that was kind of at the core of our series. The fact that it's per, the reality is different than the perception and his brothers at the top of that personnel org chart, his nephew had this meteoric rise to power right underneath Chris Mara. And that's a problem. Um, you know, Dave Gettleman was a buffoon. Dave Gettleman uh, wasn't easy to work with. You know, you can go down the, the list of stories there, but it, it does run a little bit deeper. And I don't know if they're going to go through that self-reflection. Then you've got the Green Bay Packers where you don't have an owner. You have Mark Murphy running the show, but it, it, 
does that affect things? Does that make it better? The fact that, look, Ted Thompson is, was really running the show as the GM. You knew who was in charge. It was somebody with this insanely experienced football background. And now you have the same thing in Brian Gutekunst where the Giants, it's kind of like this weird hodgepodge mixture of people who do different things. And they might be promoting a dollars and cents guy next and Kevin Abrams. Not exactly a Thompson or a Gutekunst. <clears throat> You know, it, it all changed in 92 here, 30 years ago, when Bob Harnell, the team president. Right. Start with Ron Wolf. Sorry, exactly. Yeah, broke away from the Lombardi-esque structure in which the head coach served as GM. Um, and that was just kind of a, hmm, it's, it's not not exactly like the Mar Maras. There was no millionaire you know, owner there. But yet it was a, uh, an enclosed kind of a setting in which the civic leaders of Green Bay were on that seven-man executive committee, and, and they called the shots. And then, <clears throat> but then that all changed. They broke away. They brought in an outsider. Harlan got the heck out of the way, other than the entire business side. And you know, I don't know that John John Mara would ever want to do anything like that. He, and Harlan just gave Wolf carte blanche, and he trusted. He hired the best man available. He trusted him, and that's when Green Bay took off. The trade, the hiring of Holmgren, the trade for Favre, the signing of Reggie White, and then the drafting of, you know, after Wolf, it went to Mike Sherman, which it was a mistake really as a GM. But then Ted Thompson, they righted themselves. He did a good job and uh, won one Super Bowl. And now here they are uh, with Gutekunst, who after a, a shaky beginning has certainly leveled off and he's doing a good job now. So I, you know they can look at this as a model. It's a little different, but it's not that different. These are both blue blood mainstream NFL franchises that go back to the twenties. I think it's that complicated too, Bob. You know what I mean? Like these, these billionaire owners who own teams, everybody tells them how amazing, how great, how incredible they are. I mean, their asses are kissed all the time, right? Because these people yep. want to get into that inner circle. They want to yep. be part of the quote-unquote protected class, as one Giants uh, former front office member put it to me. And, and look, the, the, John Mara isn't alone. I mean, you see it everywhere. All these owners for all these NFL teams, all these professional sports teams, very rarely are open to having people in their inner circle who will challenge them and push back. And some are open to it, some are. But the more and more I, I learn about this league, and I mean, you know this way better than me, I feel like the yes men and yes women around these billionaires runs deep. So they kind of create their own reality and you get a situation like you have with the New York giants where they need to clean house. Like they need to start over. They can't just keep promoting from within and, and bring back their buddy, Dave Gettleman around the team who was retired, then was fired. And um, from day one, just made one terrible move, one terrible pick, one terrible decision after the next you've got to think outside of the box and bring somebody in who you're not buddies with, who is outside of your, the protected class. And that takes self-reflection. It, it, it takes self-awareness and not a lot of owners are open to it. I think the ones that are Robert Kraft isn't perfect clearly with what happened a couple of years ago, but Robert Kraft is, uh, I, I feel like, you know, if you're grading on a curb, he is open to being challenged and, Lo and behold, they find Bill Belichick. He's the greatest coach ever. And, you know, he mostly will stay out of the way. I don't know. Ego is kind of the root of all evil is what I'm saying. It comes down to ego and, and that willingness to suppress it. Let me mention this too, Tyler. You know, um, 
So I've been in that Wisconsin media core for my entire professional career. And uh, you think it's a milk toast operation. And a lot of it is. A lot of it is really, uh, you know, jock sniffing involved. A lot of it is. But the ones who really count, that was the Green Bay Press Gazette back in the 70s and 80s. And then the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Journal Journal Sentinel after that. They did a lot of in-depth, really tough, really compelling, cutting stories about how that how the Packers after the glory years had fallen in disrepair for 22, 23 years, just, you know, eviscerating the executive committee, Dominic Olenicek, Judge Robert Perrins, all these people who are running that show and running the team into the ground. Now, of course, I've never lived on the East Coast in the Big Apple, but I've been there enough to have read their papers and I know all their writers. Yeah, the New York Daily News and the New York Post has the headlines and the wildness and, you know, the crazed, ripping headlines and okay. But when you really stop to think about it, the Times, the Daily News, the Post, Newsday, uh, Newark, how many stories are done the way you did yours the other day? Talking to the people on the inside of that building, the ones who have uh, no, no ball in the fire, so to speak, that are willing to cut to the chase because they trust you and just get to the reality of the situation as you described it. How many New York papers have get into those kind of su subjects? It, you know, it's the, it's, it's the crazy rip on the back page of the tabloids. And then it's the pontificating from on high in the times or maybe, I can't say Newsday, I don't know. But there's a lot of that and I don't think there's a real a real tough, mean-spirited, mean digging, intense, investigative journalism on these sports teams in New York. I may be wrong, but I think uh, they could learn something the way uh, the, the way the Packers were uh, demolished by the media back uh, during their 23-year hiatus. Well said, Bob. I mean, um, I don't know. I Honestly, I don't really know how the Giants are, are covered. I'm not consuming... Um, that media day, day in and day out. All I can say is I'm just trying to cover this league in a lot of ways, the way you, you taught me, you know, whatever it was 11, 12 years ago when I'm, I'm, I'm reading you and, you know, we had a lot of conversations. I felt like I learned so much from you just by, by, by reading your work day in and day out and seeing how you worked. And you have to just kind of have that, that compass to just push the rock further and further. And, you know, if, if that light bulb goes off, if something goes off in your head and it's, well, that's, that's alarming. That's interesting. Just take it, take it a little bit further and follow the truth and follow reality. And you know what? We could, we could go, we could talk about anonymous sources for an hour. <laughs> Every draft season, it seems like that, that blows up and you've got to deal with people who criticize the anonymous sourcing. There is such an incredible value to it. When you can talk to people who saw the wreckage firsthand who witness how this league is really run firsthand and they can speak freely. I mean, look, it's on the reader. Trust who you want to trust journalist wise. I'll stand by, you know, my background just as I'm sure you'll stand by yours, Bob, but that matters. I, 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 I would hope. And I think that fans prefer the truth and prefer what, what happened. I mean, this wasn't a lot of opinion in, in this series. This is just, this is just the shit that went down over what is spewed in a poll tested uh, milk toast, as you put press conference. Like that's what I want to go along to be. I mean, we want to get to that truth. We want to 
follow those breadcrumbs to get answers because that's what the fans deserve. They're the ones pouring millions of dollars into this product, like we say. So, yeah, anonymous sourcing is unbelievably valuable, and we're going to do more stories like this. Yep, that's our charge, AT. Yep. It's a good time to mention again that that draft series will be here before people know it, too. So, um, you know, good time to subscribe. Tell somebody in your life to subscribe. Bob McGinn covers the draft better than anybody in the country and has for decades, bringing his expertise to go along. Let's talk. This afternoon, this afternoon, T, I'm going to be watching some of those early bowl games, December 17 and 18, watching the prospects in those tilts. That's really good viewing, isn't it, T? <laughs> With the uh, the uh, the Shopko Hall uh, Ashwabanon Bowl, maybe is that in there? <laughs> good for you. I don't know the last time I sat down and watched a a non playoff bowl game. I honestly do not know. No. Do many people no. go to them? Like seriously, these these random locations outside of friends and family. No. Are, is it, what do the stands look like? I've been watching this stuff for, uh, well, I only started about six, seven years ago watching these, you know, the crazy bulls. No, when the camera pans up, there's nobody there. Might be 12,000, 15, something like that, or less. <laughs> I, went, I told you I went to the MAC title game. Now, that's a conference title game at Ford Field. My wife and I yeah. went to that. I'd say there was about 6,000 there. <laughs> Kent State and... Uh, Northern Illinois. I love it. <laughs> I'm all about it. TV. Live yeah. programming, T. What else are you going to do with your time, right? Like, get out to these events, people. <laughs> Should we talk about, uh, all right, and also on this show, if you're new to it, every week we uh, position by position break down the film. Bob breaks down the film, and I mostly just, you know, chime in <laughs> with – with a wise I'll just crack of sorts. We'll tell the New York uh, listeners that I started this in 1987 when I was at the Green Bay Press Gazette. Uh, watch the film, you know, nine, 10 hours, talk to people and write a position by position re- review. Well, I wrote that thing from 87 to 00. And now this year we're doing it in podcast form. So the most, most a position can get is five footballs. The worst is one half. You can't get zero. All right, and um, that's really it. Shall we start? Nobody's watching film like this guy. Let's do it. All right, um, so Green Bay 24, Cleveland 22 on Christmas Day. Yeah, Christmas afternoon. All right, the stars of the game, Aaron Rodgers, number one, Rasul Douglas, number two, Aaron Jones, number three. The football totals, the receivers got three. O-line, three and a half, QBs, four, running backs, three and a half, D-line, one and a half, linebackers, two and a half, DB, three, kicker, three, special teams, three, overall, three and a half. Um, All right, anything in general here on this? Cleveland went in without eight starters because of COVID and injury. Green Bay was minus nine. I mean, it's a terrible product on the field, Tyler. We... The NFL, they don't care. They're playing on. They're getting their TV money no matter what's on the field. They don't really care about anything except their money and their and their TV networks. <laughs> and that's a huge chunk of everybody's uh, purse. We know that. Their revenue. So they're, they're playing on. 
Um, Green Bay now, they were plus four in turnover differential in this game. They are plus 16. They lead the league. That's why I think they're like 12th on offense and 11th on defense. Well, they're number one. They got the best record because of that turnover differential. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Their special teams are no good, but their turnover differential trumps all. Um, Nick Chubb at 100 yards. That's the first 100-yard rusher against Green Bay since game 11 last season. David Montgomery was 11 for 103. So that's about uh, eight, 19, 20 games. That's pretty good. Uh, a terrible tackling performance by far. They missed 15 tackles on defense, three on special teams, worst of the year on defense. All right, let's go to the receivers. On offense, you got 59 snaps. Devontae Adams played 55. Alan Lazard, 51. Uh, Valdez Scantling out with COVID. Randall Cobb out with a core muscle problem. St. Brown, 48. Uh, Jawan Winfrey, 8. And again, Amari Rogers cannot get on the field. Zero, just plays special teams. All right. Um, so let's start with Devontae Adams. You know, he... <clears throat> He beats Denzel Ward really tried to physically get after him in the bump zone. I give him a lot of credit. I mean, he was a top four pick maybe four years ago, something like that. Um, he tried to get physical with him. And on this one, Adams beat him for a gain of 33. It was remarkable to me that he didn't keep his feet and get turn it into a 49 yard touchdown, but he just got tripped up somehow. I'm just going in chronological order. He had an illegal shift penalty, which cost a 13 yard completion. That was strange. Um, on his nine-yard touchdown, they rushed six, the Browns did. First, the only time they did it all day, and he beat uh, the match against a safety, Richard LeCount, the rookie from Georgia. I mean, that was just brutal, and he beat him easily for a nine-yarder. You know, when you really look at Adams, he's, he wins with his feet, and he wins with his brain. I mean, I think his speed is underrated now. He's improved his speed over time, and he plays fast with his pads. He's getting every ounce of speed out of his body. But uh, he is one sharp guy, man. Um, on the one-yard touchdown, boy, he caught that ball in his hands, and he took a big, jarring shot right upon when the ball hit him from 36. Whew, what a safety this guy is. MJ Stewart, that fourth-year player from uh, North Carolina, right? Wow. He's about the best safety I've seen all year. He was just cutting people down. We'll get into him later. What a game he played. He wasn't even a starter. He was there because Ronnie Harrison was injured. Um, Ward again tried to get physical against Adams, 17 yards on a slant, got beat. Um, well, I'll tell you, I don't know. We've discussed his blocking. His blocking has become almost comically bad. He just dances around bodies, Tyler. We've discussed this, whether he's told to do this, I don't know. But he still has to face his teammates. And he has to face Jones and Dylan, whoever has the ball behind him. But he's just, like on a third and two, he missed, uh, he missed MJ Stewart. And, and the gain went for, the play was for minus one. Okay, in the fourth quarter, they're trying to run out the clock. <clears throat> he ran a slant against Denzel Ward. Ward broke that thing up. He was right on him. He broke up. It was a great play. And then on third down, 
he dropped that cover two beater right over, right perfect throw by Rodgers, two, three yards before the safety could get over there. He beat uh, Greedy Williams bad off the ball. It would have been a 25-yard gain, and he dropped the thing. He overextended just a little. Might have been able to score on the play. Now, how many drops has Adams had this year? <clears throat> All this is unofficial. Nobody counts drops official. I look at these things really closely. When I used to be in the locker room, I would go talk to guys and look in their eyes to see if they were lying to me, talk to coaches. <laughs> Can't do that now. He dropped one against San Francisco in week three in the middle. And then I got him on a curl against Pittsburgh. He only had two drops and none since game four. That was his third year. That was quite a shocker. All right, that's it on Adams. Uh, Alan Lazard, you know, they aligned the guy on fourth and one. They aligned him and they shift him around. They aligned him to block the beast, MJ Stewart. And sure, sure as heck, he blocked him on that naked pitch and the game was about seven yards. Um, on a third and six play, ran into a linebacker. He couldn't complete his route. Pass fell incomplete. That wasn't real good. He made a fabulous one-hand catch of an up against Greedy Williams for 34. Brilliant, brilliant play. He's had two, three really good games in a row. He went nose-to-nose -nose with Miles Garrett on a crackback. Very impressive. He dropped a nine-yard touchdown pass. And on that reverse by St. Brown for minus 10, he missed defensive end Joe Jackson. It was really a bad block. I didn't think the wide receivers blocked very well in this game at all. St. Brown's in there. He played 48 snaps. Zero targets, Tyler. Well, that's a long day, isn't it? Rodgers never went to him once. Zero targets. And he threw the ball 35 times or so. Um, all right, the tight ends. Whew. Mercedes Lewis. He caught two balls, both for one yard. Just no stretch, no stretch whatsoever against linebackers. Um, Boy, down on the goal line, it was a bootleg, and he was the primary over in that right corner. He's operating out there against uh, – they had so many weird guys playing, Tyler. 56, Malcolm Smith. He couldn't separate at all. Ball was thrown incomplete. They just had, they're just getting nothing out of the tight ends. Tyler Davis, um, he made a good block on a, on a 27-yard run by uh, – by Jones and he blocked 28. Uh, I guess it doesn't make any difference. I can't even find 28. Oh, the good linebacker, the rookie, Owosu Karamoa. All right, that's it for the uh that's it for the receivers, T. You know what just popped in my head, Bob, is um I mean the the comparison isn't perfect. It's Far from perfect, but you know, 2010 when they won the Super Bowl, that was when Jermichael Finley went down, and they were just trying to scratch and claw and get by at tight end that Super Bowl season, right? With Andrew Corliss, Donald Lee, Tom Crabtree. Um, I'm looking at the numbers. Corliss led the tight ends with 21 catches for 238 yards and a touchdown. Donald Lee was, you know, at the end of his career, 11 catches, 73 yards, three touchdowns. Crabtree, <coughs> four catches. Um, unless I'm missing somebody. That was it. I mean, they were – the tight end position was just kind of nothing in, in the passing game anyways. So, uh, they, they can't adjust. And, and really, they've, they've struggled at tight end. You know, Jermichael Finley could have been that guy. 
then he had the neck injury. But since then, they it, it has been a struggle finding a um, a legit threat there. Yeah, they lost Tanya in, in game one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and it's been a struggle ever since. Now Lewis has got COVID. We'll see if this maybe it's a five day. Maybe he can play this weekend against the Vikes. We'll see. All right, the old line. Um, well, the tight ends. Uh, Total Lewis only played 25, 19 with his hand down. Davis played 13, 9 with his hand down. And then, uh, well, we'll get to DeGora when I get to the running backs. All right, the old line. So it's the way it's been. Um, left to right, you got Nijman playing off 56. He missed three for some, because of some kind of injury. The left guard, Runyon, played all the way. Patrick at center, Newman at right guard. And the right tackle was Dennis Kelly. Uh, ben Braden played three at left tackle for Nideman in the fourth quarter. Um, okay, Miles Garrett, he reminded me of Aaron Donald of the Rams in that playoff game when he had the rib damage. Uh, Garrett tried to play with that uh, groin injury. He was just a shell of himself, you know. Uh, he played, boy, give him a lot of credit. He was out there 52, 88% of the snaps, but he didn't do anything. He had, he had two pressures. He couldn't resist the run. You know, it's just he was just out there on guts. And on the other side, you know, they don't have Jadavian Clowney. And then Tack McKinley blew out his Achilles, I believe it was, the week before. So they're playing with – he played almost the entire game with that Gustin guy who played 39 snaps, and he was just signed on Tuesday. And he started and went the distance. So, I mean, it's just a – Logan Gustin, real quick, Bob is yeah. really tight with uh, Wyatt Teller, who we did the, that big story on okay. a go-long a couple weeks ago. You know, yeah. we went down there and talked about guns and whiskey and kicking ass for three hours, whatever it was, right at Teller's house. <laughs> They're really close. And uh, Logan Gustin, I'm trying, if I have this right, is the one who kind of, long story short, Wyatt Teller's wife was hanging out with Logan Gustin's wife. And it was right around when Wyatt Teller signed this historic contract, right around his birthday. She wanted to do something special for him. Talk to Logan Gustin's wife, who uh, actually has her own like gun holster, like a Gucci like gun holster. Like I don't even know how much it costs. And she's like, "Hey, what do you think? What do you think Wyatt would want?" And she got in touch with Logan Gustin, and that's when he sent her that picture of a legit military like assault rifle that she spent a lot of money. <laughs> on for his birthday so that's how he got that if, if people read the story but yeah what's i didn't gustin, know he was kicking her must have been kicking around the practice squad and stuff what's gustin's first name pierre no logan i believe logan huh i thought it was well, p as an issue you know what he's I'm, not I'm even on this release Porter Gustin. Holy cow. Porter. Logan Gustin was a kid I think I went to high school with back. It's crazy how your brain does that sometimes, you know? Yeah, Porter <laughs> yeah. Gustin. <laughs> All right, the old line, um, no sacks. Um, gave up a total of three, four, five hurries. I mean, the caliber of composition, opposition was low. <clears throat> I don't know. Nobody really impressed me that much of this group. Um I'll say Lucas Patrick, you know, I really admired the way he's playing and I admire it even more. There was a screen early in that game when you could see him have to move in space. Tyler, he can hardly move at all. I think he is playing hurt. 
some kind of lower body injury. Boy, um, he is sucking it up because he used to be, he ran okay coming out of Duke five years ago and um, he sure can't run now. He, uh, he pancaked to Wasso Koromoa coming off a double on a run for six, really nice. But they have a problem in the screen game right now. They're just not very good. Uh, Royce Newman, he was on the ground again quite a bit. On, on, he was on the ground on a screen pass that went nowhere. He, he'll come off a double. I've seen this all year. And he just, then he has to get in front of the linebacker in the run game, inside zone or outside zone. And he just, he overextends and he, he just can't lock on to that, that linebacker and the guy, you know, a possible 10 yard run will be four or five or three. He doesn't miss that much. There's, I'm not saying that he, this line has had very few bad misses in the run game. And that's, they're running the same stuff all the time, you know, inside zone, outside zone. They had three, three, three gap plays in which they pull guards, but he just, their inability to sustain has held that run, run game back just a little bit. Uh, 57, the old Viking, Odineo, he beat Newman twice on stunts, one for a knockdown, I believe it was. And um, I think he should be more athletic in space. Maybe it'll come in time. I mean, he's a young player, and I, I think with another good offseason, he should be. Um, Runyon, he was fine. <clears throat> He was fine. He just didn't sustain real well, but he, he played well. Uh, Nigel in the left tackle. He saw Garrett most of the day. We discussed that matchup. Um, st still, he hung in there. Garrett had a couple pressures on him, but there was a lot of tight end chipping to help Nigel. And they respect Garrett that much, even in his weakened condition. Uh, one thing about Nigel, and I don't like this, Tyler. He is a great pile pusher. The game is out of control. I mean, he's pushing these running back piles. I think it's disgusting. They've got to do something with the rule book. Uh, it's just, it's a pox on the game. This pushing match, who's got more bodies pushing the ass of the running back or the defensive. I mean, come on. It's really bad, Tyler. Uh, before you make a comment on that, Dennis Kelly, uh, he was okay. He was up against Gustin, no problem. He can cave in the, the line on the double team. He's not bad. You got a thought on this pushing stuff too? I was with you initially. I don't know when it's it. It's kind of recent. I, I kind of remember last season players doing yeah. this. I yep. thought it was illegal for some reason. I feel yeah, it, it, was it was a quick whistle that was broken At one up. Point it was. Yeah. Do that. It's guys are doing it every game now, and I hated it. I kind of like it now. I kind of like it. Oh. It's kind. It kind. It, I'm watching it all of a sudden, like a rugby game breaks out and I, I kind of like seeing, you know, big ass lineman out of nowhere, Quentin Nelson, just pushing Jonathan Taylor an extra five yards. Get your, there's push some skill, your there's some skill involved. You, you need a strong lineman who can push five, six bodies that takes strength. That takes skill. That takes ability. You got a guy who might whiff on a block beat three yards in the backfield, then come and give the big push and get the first down because he all of a sudden kept going after he got his ass kicked. Now he's going to push somebody in the ass. See, the, he, so he has a deficiency in one area. He makes up for it with all that, all those bench presses in the, in the off season, right? So once you whiff, you should not be able to redeem yourself on that snap. 
You should be whisked off to the cornfield and shot. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love right, it. I want to see one. more of it. And I want less flags. So anything that means less flags, Bob, I'm, I'm generally for. All right. Now we'll go to the QB. Roger's got four. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say this week. Uh, he's played the way he has played so many weeks this season. No, no fumbles, no interceptions, made a handful of really good throws, moved the team. Um, in this game, he got the ball out really quick. I thought there was some times in the second, second half when, when he had some guys fairly wide open against kind of a battered secondary, but he didn't want to risk any sacks, harms, way, fumbles, and he just threw out into the flat. Well, unfortunately, 36 was out there to abort all those plays right when the ball was caught, but uh, 36, MJ Stewart. Um, he managed the game good, got the ball out quick. At the end, when it's third and one, they don't want to give the ball back. He got him on a hard count, and that is on the hard count for him. That is the fourth time in 15 games he's got the opponent to jump off sides. Fourth time in 15 games. And uh, then they took a knee and that was it. Um, I guess that's really about it. Just another really solid performance. And I gave him the star of the game on a team that wasn't very solid. He was the most solid of the, of the Green Bay Packers. Was he proud of anybody after the game? I didn't catch the press conference. Yeah, he was. He was proud of about four or five times that word popped in there. That's good. Yep. That's good. Loyal listener right. of the podcast. On to the RBs, T. On to the RBs. Let's do All it. All right, 59 snaps. We got Aaron Jones, 33, and then he leaves with an ankle injury. A.J. Dillon, 26. Degora, the really tight end fullback guy, 33, five with his hand down. So we played a lot more than Mercedes Lewis. But that'll tell you what they think of Lewis and any kind of a bootleg, flat, anything like that where he's covered. Daphne came back off of injured reserve or uh, injured list, three snaps, one hand down, seven times they went empty, uh, no RB. All right, so let's look at Aaron Jones. You know, they're trying to protect him, Tyler, but he's injured. I mean, he's got a hamstring, he's got a back, now this ankle thing. I bet he doesn't play this week against Minnesota. He is their home run hitter, and he had a really good game. He broke five tackles in this game. He had uh, 17 touches for 87. Dylan was 12 for 56. Um, boy, on that 27-yard run when they were backed up at their eight or wherever it was, he made Greedy, Greedy Williams miss two yards into the backfield. It would have been minus two, and he turned that thing into a gain of 27. That's a 29-yard miss. Huge. Um, he outran, uh, Malik Jackson to really get the thing going. Otherwise it would have been about an eight yard gain. He weaves, he cuts, uh, he looked good. And then he limped off with 245 left. All right, Dylan, he broke one tackle on his 12 touches. Uh, you know, he, he was throwing the ball a lot, uh, three times. Let me check my drop chart. Oh, it's tackles for loss. Hold on. All right, the drops. 
Dylan's got two drops, one in the first game and one in the seventh game. But he is <clears throat> he's a dependable catcher. And that's really been the, there's a bit of a weakness coming out. Nobody he hadn't really done it, but he is a good catcher on the sidelines. But in this game, man, he couldn't show any, he had no moves out there. Uh, a slower track, it makes him look even slower. MJ Stewart kept cutting him down. I mean, he was cutting down Aaron Jones too. It didn't matter who was the ball carrier. Stewart was getting him down and getting him down hard. But I don't know if it just has to be Dylan. Um, the Vikings, you don't have to, you just don't have to worry about really long gains or, you know, the horizontal uh, stretch to the sideline. Aaron Jones would be a big loss if he misses much time. Um, Patrick Jones didn't play. Want to see more of him. Now, DeGora, they're really the starting tight end, really. Um, you know, they threw a screen out there to him. I thought he had some room. He looked so pedestrian running the ball. It was a gain of four. Should have been more. Um, he made a really nice block on uh, – boy, this Brown's depth chart of mine is so – Coveted up, Tyler. I can't. Oh, on Gustin, our boy Pierre Gustin. He made a really nice block on him on the reverse for 13. Order. So that's it, really. Yeah. So that's it for the running backs, D. They were okay. The offense in general was okay. Yeah, it was just kind of okay. You know, the, the second half, it, we've seen this at times out of the Packers where kind of kind of goes one way or the other either they can they can just kind of race away from teams but once in a while they have a game where I think they just kind of run out of gas they're just kind of putzing along up by a few scores and if the Browns aren't turning it over every other possession it's I mean they're, they're racing ahead and they still had a chance like I'm sure we'll get into at the end of this game but I don't have any AJ Dillon commentary for you today unfortunately no their largest margin of victory was against the Lions in week two, 35 to 17. 18 points for a team that's got 12 victories. The second biggest was against Seattle, 17-0. Those are both home games. Their point differential looks like a team that, you know, should have five or six losses, but they don't because they win. And they got plus 16 on that turnover differential. And that's what counts, T. It's true. It was ever thus. Each of those four interceptions kind of tells a story too, as I'm sure you'll get into later, but it's, you know, I mean, Baker, in terms of Baker Mayfield, maybe only one of the four was, was really on him, but the Packers are causing these turnovers too. So it's, it's not by accident at this point that green Bay is, is plus 16. All right. The D line. Uh, 68 snaps on defense possible, max. So we got Kenny Clark, Clark played 60, came back off COVID. He was a little rusty. Uh, Dean Lowry, 52. Lancaster, 34. Second highest total of the season for him. Slayton, 24. Jack Heflin, the rookie from uh, Northern Illinois and Iowa, four. And Kingsley Kiki was a healthy inactive. And all I can tell you, I guess my guess is, he wasn't on the injury report. We've talked about this all year, that they knew this was going to be a ground game battle, and the Browns wanted to run the ball. 
and they know Kiki's a target for running games, and they wanted Heflin up more than him in case there were injury. They weren't really worried about rushing Mayfield. They had enough outside to rush Mayfield that they could handle his loss as an interior rusher because they didn't want him in there getting ground up by Wyatt Teller and those inside people. It was an amazing admission, really. Uh, we'll see if he somehow winds up on some injury report today for the Viking game. But So Kingsley's inactive. All right. Um, Clark, uh, he had a quiet game. He wasn't a real factor. Uh, Teller's a really good guard. You profiled Teller. You know all about him, Tyler. Uh, you know, they had a backup center. <clears throat> J.C. Treader, the ex-packer, hadn't missed a snap since 2017. F almost five full years, every snap. He goes out with COVID. And they, played a Nick, they played Nick Harris, the young guy from Washington, who I kind of liked in the draft. He's undersized, but I thought he really hustled. He had fresh legs. He played pretty good. Uh, and then they got a bad left guard, Michael Dunn, when Batonio, the left guard, had to play left tackle with uh, Wills on COVID. So anyway, Clark was not a real factor. I didn't think any of these people, they just, they were getting hammered, not getting off blocks, Velcroed, um, too many people getting out to the linebackers. And then you get 219 yards rushing. It was really a forgettable performance. Um, pass rush. Yeah, Clark did much better there. He had three hurries, and he set up two sacks. So of the five sacks, only one was clear-cut um, clear cut to the person who received it, and that was by Dean Lowry. The other four, um, Gary's were set up one by Clark, two by Preston Smith. One of Preston Smith was set up by Clark and the one by 40. Uh, there's been so many guys in and off of this roster, Tyler. <laughs> Galilea, his was set up by uh, Gar Terrence Garvin. All right, so good sack by Lowry. Couldn't get off blocks. That's it for the D-line. Kind of a forgettable showing. Kind of a forgettable game. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, they've had a couple of these words. You get in, you get out. It's not that pretty. Yeah, I wonder with, with I Baker Mayfield, you know, it's kind of an indictment if, if, the, if the other team feels they, you know, let's take out. We don't need to even dress this pass rushing D tackle. We're looking to stop the run. That's the way the Browns are built, right? They want to run the ball early, run the ball often. They yeah. don't really have a lot of weapons outside at receiver, but. And I've tried to talk to people to get to the bottom of it. And I'll get, get around to a, a story on Baker Mayfield that go along at some point, I'm sure. But is it like, is that offense, is it the, is it the product of Baker Mayfield not being what they thought he'd be as a number one overall pick, not being as, because at Oklahoma, he's throwing it all over the place. <clears throat> he's used to a spread offense, chucking it all over. Or is Baker Mayfield the one that swallowed his pride and was okay, kind of acquiescing with this run first approach throwing the ball 15 to 23 times to get the win, being a team player. Um, I think more people would say the former, right? That Baker's not nearly as good as everybody thought he would be. And then maybe this game kind of justified it. I don't know. Not all those picks were on him. I kind of go back and forth. You look at who they have at receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and 
Jarvis Landry has never been somebody that stretches the field. You know, Rashard Higgins, it's not exactly murderer's row. Um, they've got a huge decision to make, huge decision to make. Who, you know, where, where does the problem lie? Do they have to change their philosophy? I don't know. I don't know. The other factor, Tyler, is, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't, hasn't it been reported that he's got a torn rotator cuff in his left shoulder? Oh, yeah. Jeez. You know. Yeah, you I can't mean, bury that lead. He's beat to hell. You, you don't see Baker walking around uh, circulating that left shoulder, do you? But you no. see the other quarterback in that game on Christmas uh, limping and hopping around, don't we? And going we off do. early to the locker room you know, to make sure all the cameras are on him. So he gets another 60 seconds of time. He gets shot up in the locker room. I mean, Tyler, <laughs> come on. There's a, the, the players playing with <laughs> injuries in this sport are, you've been in those locker rooms, Tyler. I can't even believe some of the things I saw in those locker rooms. And then for all this attention to be placed on, on that particular little injury, it's kind of ridiculous. People are going to say that you're too hard on him, but it's so true that everybody, most everybody is beat to shit right now, injured. And it's also true that a lot of them happen to be quarterbacks. And it's also true. We're talking a lot about a little toe and not a lot about, I mean, here in Buffalo, Josh Allen, he just wrecked his ankle against Tampa a couple of weeks ago. Um, Baker Mayfield. It's not just that he's, he's heel. Um, I want to say his knee ankle, like he's got three different things going on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think, uh, Aaron Rodgers is, it's, he's kind of like Kobe Bryant this way. Some of the, some of the greatest talents ever are, are very into the narrative of their careers and, and, and how it's told. You know, I think that's why he's, he really values those production meetings with whoever's broadcasting the game. Um, it's very calculated. I mean, he's, there's, I, I feel like there's a reason, um, the narration of a game is what it is with those conversations he, he's having on whatever it is, Fridays before games. Just remember Troy Ake. I mean, I know Jordan Love had a, did not have a great game against Kansas City, but my God, you would have thought it was TJ Rubley out there at times. <laughs> I, but overall, I think Rodgers knows how the story of the game is told and he will play into that narrative, whether it's, knowing those cameras are going to be on him by taking off a little early. I mean, Twitter, everybody's talking, oh, there he goes out to get those good drugs. You know, it's, no, he knows what he's doing. Like, he that's a minimize. That a lot of guys are hurt. He's hurt, but he's very, he's very intellectual when it comes to um, the story of pro football, which is why he was pretty upset with the story I did a few years ago, right? It kind of got away from him there for a hot minute. <laughs> Favre did it with John Madden. The late John Madden, no so production true. meeting, Pat Summerall. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And yeah. Madden he came played to the cameras through. as well. He did. Granted, he played yeah, through. I mean, he played through. You know, he played through injuries and keep guys out for seasons too. You got it. They know how to work those broadcast network teams, don't they? Boy, just like a, oh, unreal. Okay, linebackers outside. Preston Smith, 52 of the 68. Rashawn Gary, 50. Galilei, we still don't know how to pronounce that, D. 16. Garvin, 14. Okay, inside, Campbell played all 68. Barnes, 36. Burks, 5. 
Ty Summers went on IR with that hamstring. All right. Campbell, um, that 40-yard screen pass on the second play of the game. He's on his way to the quarterback. Now, and then Chubb went right by him, caught the screen, and went 40 yards. Now there's some missed tackles. It should have been a 10-yard gain, but he could have recognized that, but he didn't. Okay. It was a great play call. You could call it a gotcha by the Browns, by Stefanski. Um, now, later there was a screen late in the game in a crucial situation. <clears throat> when he did react to a screen, he hugged the receiver and batted, he tipped the ball up the line of scrimmage. It was a beautiful play. Um, there was a 17-yard run. He, uh, I thought he took a terrible angle. Um, on a 27-yard run, I mean, he, when you run through that as a primary inside backer, if you run through and the thing's going wide, you've got to make that play, Tyler. You've just got to. I mean, the coaches will trust you that if you see a hole in that line, you can run through. You've got to get the guy down for zero or minus one, it would be. And if you don't, if you don't go over the top and contain that to a six, seven-yard gain, and that thing ruptures to 27, then that's really on you. And that's what happened there. Um, you know, he's played a ton of snaps this year. I don't know. Maybe he's a little tired. I don't see him uh, playing quite as fresh and as vibrant as he did uh, a month, six weeks ago. All right. Barnes. Let me see if there's anything else here. Oh, he, uh, oh, he made a great, a great play against Michael Dunn on a screen. He KO'd Dunn, knocked him right, right into the ground, made the play for minus one. It was a heck of a play. And then the screen pass. All right. Um, Barnes. Um, on that 17-yard run, he could not get off the tight end, Austin Hooper, and the game was 17. He was on that thing forever. He got fooled on a bootleg, gain of 11. He had bad eyes on a reverse, gain of 13. He's just, he's a slow reactor. But yet, yet he makes a play like this on a toss to the offensive left, they bring in Donovan Peoples-Jones. They're going to crack back on Barnes. And Barnes is coming. He sees him coming. <clears throat> takes about three, four steps. Knocks Peoples-Jones right on his ass. And just kept going. And made the tackle on Chubb for a gain of five. I mean, it was fantastic play. Should have been 12, 14 yards. So I'm not willing to forget about Barnes right now. I still kind of like him. But there's false steps he's guilty of. And... He's still a young player, and he's, he's just not that good. And if they can get better, they, they obviously need to get better. Um, you know, on four, four occasions in this game, they were so desperate to stop the run, they jumped into that classic bear front, which you had six people over, six people piled on the line of scrimmage with one middle backer. They took Rashawn Gary out in that case. They had four down linemen, and then uh, – Preston Smith was on the left and Burks, Oren Burks was on the right. <clears throat> kind of a strange deal. I don't know why Gary's out, Burks is in. I guess they just want to give Burks some snaps. He only had five, you know, keeping in the ball game. Boy, on one of those plays, there was a bootleg behind him and he sensed it and he made a great reaction. And uh, he got back into the throwing lane against Austin Hooper 
He might have arrived a little early, but no call. Pass went incomplete. So that's Burks. He looks good. <clears throat> All right. Now, the outside backers, Gary had those two sacks, which were set up by others, but he did, he did work on both of them. He had a total of four pressures. Preston Smith had three. I just thought they should have done even been, been more impactful against that offensive line. I mean, you got Blake Hans at right tackle. You got Dunn at left guard. You got a first-time starter at center. Just in Batonio out of position at left tackle. They had five sacks, but I still didn't think the pressure rate was very good. Um, the first sack. Oh, this. Uh, Kenny Clark attacked the guard on one of those sacks. And then Gary waited and then they pulled Bill Callahan had a couple of strange blocking combinations in pass pro and he pulled the left guard over there uh done and then he got run over by gary for that sack it was really a nice scheme and beautifully executed too by those two guys clark and gary um preston smith he's played pretty well uh, he's you know he's rushing the passer a couple rushes a game you know it's worth worth gold he also, you know, for a smart player, he, he was fooled twice on two reverses that turned into 24 yards. It's kind of puzzling. He just doesn't see things as, as quickly as a, as a veteran of that, of that ilk really should. Um, Garvin, he got KO'd by Hans one time on a rush for 15. It was brutal. And uh, Galilee had a fall and sack. So that's it on the linebackers, Steve. Question for you, Bob. We've yeah. spent a lot of time at Go Long this season declaring the return of old school football, championing the running game. Um, at least I have. Jonathan Taylor, you know, Derrick Henry, if he ever does come back, the Patriots, everybody just get, leaving a pile of bodies in their wake, blood, guts, all that good stuff. The Browns are one of those teams. They're built that way. They're seven and eight. Um, does how much does running the football to you matter right now? Because here in Buffalo, they get clobbered by the Patriots. They're running the ball every single play. Um, it's an embarrassing loss for them when you know what's coming and you still can't stop it. It's not like they just cured the run defense in the second game. They let Damian Harris run for over 100 yards, three touchdowns. And they, they won with ease. Um, so what's going to happen in the playoffs? Like, is it, I mean, and then you've got like the Colts, Carson Wentz. Is Carson Wentz, you know, it might be tough to watch for a while. He might throw a couple touchdowns. They're, they're going to go as far as Jonathan Taylor takes them. The Titans are hoping they get Derrick Henry back. Is, is that kind of football going to be able to win? Or would you put your money on a team like the bills that Sean McDermott, the way they've kind of built the defense, they don't even really care about how many yards they give up on the run. They they're, they're built to defend the pass. It's going to get really interesting right now. I still think you want to be able to run the ball, stop the run. I think the team, you know, Kansas city, they can play anyway. That defense has really come on. That's why I love the chiefs. It's kind of why I love the Packers. The Packers can play different styles of football too. So maybe I'm answering my own question. <laughs> There's teams that can do both. Um, but I don't. Long story short, like, do do, do how much do you think running the football? Tyler, 
I'm just not sure in today's football where it's at, how important the run game is. I'm just not yeah. sure. All the rules make it so easy, much easier to pass. The quarterbacks aren't getting touched. The receivers can't really be touched, although we'll get into that here coming up um, on those four picks. But um, I'm just not sure. I don't know. I mean, the Rams now, they lost Henderson. He went on IR, right, the running back. But they might be getting the Moss guy back. Or no, Acres back, I'm sorry. Acres, yep. Yeah, and so that I think bigger back would help them. Uh, I'm not sure. Bucks won it. They needed Fournette to do it last year. I don't know. Can the Packers do it without Aaron Jones if he's really banged up? Of course they can with A.J. Dillon. You kidding me? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Are they drafting? All right, let's go to the – Great point, though, on the Rams. Great point. We were trashing the Rams a month ago. Since then, they've gotten tougher. Sony Michelle has something like, I don't know, whatever it is, 250-some yards the last couple weeks. Um, Sean McVay's calling run plays. The offensive line is playing downhill. They've been gritty, grimy, gross wins that you're going to have to get. So, all of a sudden, they're a threat. I I don't like that Ram O-line, T. Don't, you don't like that right guard, Corbett. He's soft. Don't like Edwards, the left guard, too tall. And the center's really overrated. I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's some that's some top-notch point shitting there. Good job. Just, just trash right, anyway. that point I just made, right? <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, so you got to keep me in my place. Look, I don't want you telling me that I'm right all the time. Tell me when I'm wrong, please. <laughs> All right, T. Uh, DBs, Rasul Douglas played all 68. Stokes played all 68. Chan and Sullivan, Nick. This guy never gets hurt, man. Plays all 50. Like two, three years, he's been the same way. He plays, he's there for everything. He's never injured. He's never great. He's never really bad. All right, and that's it. They don't play any other, any other corners. I mean, John Charles, Yeadam, they never play. It's the way it is. Okay, safeties. There's no changing there. These guys play every snap. Savage 68, Amos 68, Black's back to play 11. Scott was active on uh, special teams, didn't play from scrimmage. All right. Let's go to the picks. There's so many of them. And, when, you know, when you got four picks that kind of run together, you know, T, I want to just – oh, man, where's that list? Bear with me, please. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, let's talk about – let's just look at the four picks, okay? I find the damn list. <laughs> the long bomb that I think Savage was caught up on that thing. He stopped his feet, but the ball was so poorly thrown that he was able to get back and then track it and made a nice catch. On the play, who's the receiver on the thing? Is that 11 Peoples-Jones? Uh, yeah. All right, now, come on. Rasul Douglas is engaged with him like 20, 22 yards downfield. It's got to either be illegal contact or pass interference. I don't know the difference between all that stuff, but it's got to be one or the other. I mean, that's just terrible. They got people watching that stuff. It's just a brutal non-call. All right, the second one. Uh, Sullivan over there in the red zone. He throws high to, uh, to Jarvis Landry. That was a heck of a pick. I mean, his vision was distracted. It was pretty much point blank range. 
well, not point blank, but close to it. Man, he caught it in his hands with all that stuff in front of him. Uh, Landry's arm and the ball was high. It was a heck of a catch by Sullivan. Really a terrific play. Now, if he had any speed, I think he might have taken that to the house. I think he only got um, he only got 13 yards on the thing. All right, let's go to the third pick. That's the ball over on the left sideline in front of the brown bench. You saw this thing, right, T? And the ball was thrown to Landry over there. All right, Landry's on kind of a wheel route against some kind of a cover three or some kind of a thing like that. <clears throat> and you could see Landry raise his left hand. In other words, I'm going deep. But the protection scheme was so lousy by Bill Callahan that there was immediate, immediate pressure from the right. I think it was Gary from Mayfield's right. So now he starts fleeing off to the left. And the guy, he's got a screwed up shoulder. He doesn't have that great an arm anyway. So I think he's going to try to all of a sudden decide to throw a back shoulder, right? And when Landry senses that, then he slips. Meanwhile, Douglas spins around, and he made the greatest darn play on the thing. He got a little lucky, but the ball was right there for him, and he just used his intuition, and he was there. I mean, he was running with the vertical, and then and he pulled off the thing. That was just a great play. I mean, what can you say? The guy's got a – he made all those picks at West Virginia. We talked about that, and he's made – now he's made five here. All right, the last one here. Um, it's at the uh, – how much time left on that pick? 45 seconds. Third and 10 on the 50. <clears throat> Now he's in contact with, who was it, 80? I, I don't know. I think Landry or Peoples Jones. Like Peoples Jones, yeah. He's in contact with him at eight or nine yards, Tyler. I think the flag should have been thrown. I do. And instead, boy, you got to give Douglas credit again. He didn't really turn back until he was within proximate. His, he was right next to that receiver. And then you know, when you're right on top of a receiver like that, then you can look back because you got the man under control. He's not going to be getting across from you on a shallow crosser for 30 or something. And he turned back and he kind of slingshotted himself in front of that receiver and he made the play. He catches everything, man. Let me see if he's got any dropped interceptions. <clears throat> Yeah, he's got two. He dropped one against the Rams and one uh, one against the Bears on a curl. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> um, okay, so I only gave the group was it three footballs. All right, why? You got four picks. I gave him three balls. Well, the two should have been interference or penalties. Okay. Really bad tackling, Tyler. I don't know what's going on. Um, all, all four starters each missed two tackles and Sullivan missed one. That's nine misses of the 15 by the defense, a season high. Boy, Stokes, soft? On that 27-yard run by Chubb, he's blocked forever out there by uh, Richard Higgins. Um, and then on that 30-yard run, he just didn't want in on the action at all. 
He also, you know, the knock on him was he had bad hands and he's had a good year, but he had dropped, he dropped, he had two more drops, one on a two point that wouldn't have gone anywhere anyway. And then he dropped uh, a brutal one, an easy pick. So on the drop pick department, Stokes now has, all right, let's, he had four entering, he had three entering this game, drop picks. Um, but it's the lack of physicality. Now, Douglas, you know, he's got, he's got a lot of side and you think he should be a hitter. And there's some evidence of him hitting people on special teams. In fact, early in this game, he had a hit uh, on a kickoff return. But, boy, there's other times now when he's either backing off or just not interested in the, in the rough stuff. Um, I just have no tolerance for that, Tyler. I, I, just, I just don't. I would have been all over Deion Sanders if I ever covered him. I just have no tolerance for that. It's, it's an important part of the game. Um, so yeah, he plays off Tyler. He knows he has a speed deficiency. He plays off nine, 10 yards. And then he tries to be aggressive from there. Right now, um, OBJ beat him for that slant and goal for the long touch on a couple weeks ago. All right. Other times, you know, third and seven, he's playing nine yards off the completions for 10 right in front of him. Um, but yet, oh, he's dangerous. He played soft one time. He and Sullivan on a third down, passed to Higgins for 14. But this guy is dangerous, too. And every quarterback in the league now that they face, you know Kirk Cousins is very wary of this guy. They want to beat him deep. They know they can beat him deep. And they'd like to throw stuff short and make him tackle. But the guy's a threat. And he sits back there. He's so unorthodox playing deep off that ball. Um, okay, Sullivan, nice hands on the interception. Great hands. He got beat by Landry on a 24-yard in route, missed the tackle. It was pretty bad. And um, uh, third and seven slant to Landry for 12. That wasn't good. He, uh, he's the way he plays almost basically the way he is all the time. Uh, all right, the safeties. Savage, second week in row, he had one of those low block penalties for 15 yards. You just can't do it. Uh, he made a good tracking on the interception, but early in the play, he uh, did not do well, locked up his feet. And then on that five-yard touchdown pass to somebody at the end, of, late in the game, he's late lining up. Now, the outside guy caught that ball. Schwartz made that catch. I think he did. I can't remember. Yeah, Schwartz made the call. And Douglas was on the outside over there. Douglas was so discombobulated because his teammate, 26, was screwing around and didn't get lined up properly. He should have just stayed on 10, stayed on the outside guy. You can't let the outside go guy go. Meanwhile, 26 came over and lined up on, uh, on Landry on the inside. I think it's on both of them, half on 26 for being late lining up, half on Douglas for making an improper decision. Um, and then on that, the one-yard touchdown pass to uh, Harrison Bryant, 88, uh, I think that's half on Stokes and half on uh, 26 Savage. All right, Tyler, that's it. Poor tackling game and a lot of picks. 
So let me just spin it this way. Baker Mayfield, when you're watching the tape, what's your takeaway on, on him? I mean, he's what everybody's talking about more than anything. The injury, Tyler. I don't think we're seeing what the guy is. I mean, you're a torn rotating cup. How the heck can you balance your throw? Your whole throwing motion is off. You got no velocity. You can't really run the way you want to run. How can he? I mean, poor Browns. They got to evaluate this guy playing with all those injuries. I mean, if number 12 in Green Bay had those injuries, <laughs> I think he'd be up for martyrdom, you know? It, I, I'm glad that you really emphasized that point. I, I don't think it's really being discussed enough. Um, just talking to Wyatt Teller and other people in the organization, I mean, they – I think you're right. I think that's what really complicates their decision this offseason is the fact that he really is playing through some severe pain, um, some serious injuries. It's hard. Yeah, he still is their best option. You say, okay, then why isn't he sitting for the betterment of the team? I'm not, I don't know. I'd still would take Baker Mayfield over Case Keenum myself. There's a debate to be had there. Uh, he did make some plays. I mean, man, that's Baker Mayfield. You know, he'll, he'll throw a pick, he'll make a mistake, he comes back. And as you noted, all these picks are, aren't, aren't on him. So I, I, I want to see him back in Cleveland. I, I think that what we'll probably see is, you know, competition to some degree. Maybe a Ryan Tannehill joins Marcus Mariota type of c- scenario where the, the Brown, I mean, they don't have to do anything. He still has, they picked up the option. So he still has another year under his contract. And you, know, you bring somebody else in, you continue to evaluate and go from there. I, I don't think you have to like go all in one direction or all in the other direction. And I, this injury complicating things is all more reason to just ride this out and see what you have. But I, part of me does get the criticism too. I mean, he is a number one overall pick in a draft where there's, there's Josh Allen, there's Lamar Jackson, and there's all pros at other positions. Mika Fitzpatrick was in there, Quentin Nelson. So um, th- there should be a lot of pressure on him regardless of what he's dealing with. So I'm not minimizing that, but. Um, all factors should definitely be taken into consideration. And I imagine when you watch the film, it probably wasn't as bad as everybody's making it out to be. Although he had a fifth pick flat out dropped by Stokes. That was another brutal one. Good Uh, point. Let me just, let me make one little comment here. Boy, when I was on the beat, Tyler, for all those years, I made it my business to learn everything I could about injuries. How could I grade players at the end of the year or in this weekly thing if I didn't know how they were feeling, how bad their injuries were? Prior to uh, Mike Holmgren's arrival in 92, I could talk to that trainer every day and I could talk to the team doctor when I needed him. And, and then after that, when Holmgren ruled all that out, well, that made it much more difficult, but I still had to try to find out from assistant coaches scouts or the players themselves or teammates talking about guy how bad is this guy hurt you know he, he couldn't run on that um on that kickoff why you know and they make it really tough i mean how can i i remember Lindsay knapp he was a guard who came as a free agent from a new england one year and knapp told me how in new england he was so frustrated he couldn't talk to the press in boston about his injuries because belichick would have none of it but yet they're calling him, you know, yellow and a wussy and all this kind of stuff. And then he felt it was such a breath of fresh air that he could talk to me about these injuries and it would be printed properly. And, you know, I, I, I generally feel guys, when you're in there looking at guys in the eye, I don't think they're going to lie to you about their injuries. 
I just don't. And then I could always see them walk away from me and just how they reacted. I don't know. That's a crucial part of this. And I don't have that now living over here. There's no doubt about it, but the locker rooms are closed anyway. So it makes it tough for everybody. Yet another reason why less access and this push that you see from not just the NFL, but all professional sports leagues is a bad thing. All along the way, the the truth is kind of lost and the, not only do the fans lose out, not knowing more, the players suffer. They, they, they aren't able to explain things. <laughs> whether it's an injury, whether it's, I remember seeing you there at Mondays talking to linemen, you know, figuring stuff out, you know, talking about specific plays. Um, you take all that into consideration when you're trying to tell the story of, of a game. And a lot, of, a lot of press conferences now, Bob, you know, a lot of centralized messaging, so... Boy, are they useless, huh, Tyler? You read they those really transcripts. Are. They are just so useless. 95% of the coaches just know how to just talk for 20 minutes and say nothing, huh? It's amazing. Yeah. It's a, it, well, it's a performance. Everybody's kind of playing a role, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. you know, when we were in those press conferences for Mike McCarthy or whoever they trot out. I mean, it was, it was good back then now comparing it to today with open locker room where you, we could work, work that locker room. But in the press conferences, I just tried to follow your lead and why even say anything, unless you like need to get an answer to a specific question. Like it's, I feel like you're not going to learn a heck of a lot in that setting. You're going to learn more in that one-on-one locker setting. Yeah. That's um, why right, we're trying Chief. to travel around, Bob. I'll be taking a trip next yeah. week. Um, great. Still our great. subscribers and more at that time, but we're, we're taking a little go long late season road trip. When you travel, our site goes, man. All right, T the kickers Crosby. Well, he's in rhythm, uh, four extra points and a 32 yard field goal. Sweet. He's just, uh, I've seen this guy for 15 years and I just know his footwork, his reactions. It's just perfect rhythm right now. He's got it back. Interesting. Last week he had his extra points from the left hash. Today, Saturday night, he was back on his right on the right hash. Don't know why. Maybe there's some wind. I don't really know. His kickoffs, uh, five, four kickoffs for length. One was squib, so I don't count that. 65.0, hang 3.68, one touchback. He's fine. All right, Borquez, five punts, 47.0, 41.8. 4.05 hang time. Um, well, he had two of them, his bad ones, hangs of 339 and 307 at the end of the game that benefited him with 21 yards of roll. Uh, his fourth punt, 49 yards, fair catch, 501 on a cold, well, at that point it was a night. That's a heck of a punt. Five zero one, but then right after that, three zero seven, thirty three net, not good enough. So that's Bahorquez. <coughs> All right, special teams. Well, <clears throat> they're back to treading water. You know, Wordle. This one NFL scout told me a spe- special teams coach told me about three three weeks ago that the Rams long snapper, excuse me, the Browns long long snapper Charlie Hewlett. In the offseason, he and his he and his assistant had analyzed, broken down every long snapper, just something to do in February, you know. 
and they they decided Hewlett had the most perfect lace snaps of anybody in the business. So I watched Hewlett in this game, and to best of my recollection or my best of my observation, he was he is great. I saw him a couple of weeks ago too. I've been watching this guy. He's terrific. He just the holder does nothing. Just grab the ball and down, and the laces are toward the goalposts. You know, Wordle had a, had a good game. He's been accurate now. Of the four snaps he had, of the five, there were two that I saw were had to be spun a little bit, and three I'm not sure, but he's improved. All right, the Gunners were uh, Yedem five times and Juwan Winfrey five, because St. Brown played so much they didn't they relieved him of that. Um, personal protector was Black, or Damari Rogers. I'm not sure about this, but I think he always carries the ball in his left arm, which is not good. He, he catches a kickoff over in his own right corner. The ball should be in his right hand as he's going straight up the field. He's got it in his left hand towards the defense. He made a good return, though, 27 yards. He made a good dis- decision on a bouncer to let it bounce. It went into the end zone kind of over in the corner. That was cool. Um, he looked a little bit better, but he's Still heavy and slow. He catches the ball high, too, Tyler. I don't know what he's doing with that. One penalty on Patrick uh, Jones for an illegal double team. Three missed tackles, two by Winfrey. The most snaps, 19 by Davis, Black, and Yadam. Yadam, Adam. All right, that's it for the special teams, and that's it for the Browns' pack. Mm. Incredible rundown, as always, Bob. Not sure what to take away from this game. And I feel like we've said that after a lot of Packer wins, but they just, <laughs> they, they win these kind of games. And um, it, it would have gotten really interesting if they would have called that penalty on that last Browns drive. If they call that pass interference, holding, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. If that extends, um, it, it, it's a much different conversation here and elsewhere when it comes to the Packers and the Browns. Well, let's just see, T. So that ball... So the interception occurred with about 45 seconds left. So if that ball is ruled pass interference, then it's first and 10 at the Packer 41 with 43 seconds left. And they got, I don't know, all three timeouts left. Yeah. Three timeouts from the 41. They're going to run Chubb. Honestly, that was their problem. That drive, they, they should have ran Chubb two or three more times. They had, they had all the time. They had all the timeouts. Why even throw as much as they did. But then they got that bad kicker, Nagar, who was a college punter for his first three years in college. Then he became a kicker. Huh. I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty bad kicker. He probably chokes anyway. T. <laughs> <laughs> no confidence in the kid, huh? No, none. All right, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, we laugh, but like sometimes when you watch the Cleveland Browns, it's, I mean, you're talking an entire generation at this point since they came back in 99, where you really do mentally expect something bad to happen. And it does happen again and again and again, where, you know, we're all watching this game with our families, you know, over Christmas and, I was sitting there thinking, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but even though the Browns are, they've got the ball, they're on the move, they've got this opportunity to win the game despite the three interceptions at that point, it just felt like something was going to go wrong and something did go wrong. So, 
I don't know how you, uh, you know, compute that in any analytic equation, but there is something to be said for uh, the human element and momentum and, you know, all that stuff where the Packers just find a way to win these games and the Browns find a way to lose these games. So the Packers could have almost lost a game when they were plus four, while it would have been plus three on turnover differential, yeah. It's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. All right, T. Um, should we do them again, memory? Yes, hit it. All right. Let the uh, the new listeners know what a McGinn memory is. Um, unbeknownst to you, Tyler, I'm, I pick anything I want, right? You give me carte blanche on this one, don't you? It wasn't easy, but, you know, <laughs> I decided yes. It's a matter of trust, T. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going back to... Mid-October of 1986, (laughs) my third year full-time on the beat, eighth year total. And um, the pack was off to an own six start. Their worst start in their history. Yeah, they had never lost six in a row. Worst start in their history. So they're going to Cleveland Municipal Stadium to face the Browns, who are four and two and a 13-point favorite. Coach Marty Schottenheimer's club, 53 degrees. All right, so on Wednesday, on Monday, Forrest Gregg, he had, that's the year he had gone eight and eight and 84, eight and eight and 85, wasn't good enough. So then he fired Lynn Dickey, Paul Kaufman, Greg Cook, Mike Douglas, Paul Kaufman, I guess I said him. All right, he he just clean shot, clean house, started going with all these young people and he's up to a zero and six start. Well, he wasn't just done there. So he hinted on Monday that he was going to um, make some more lineup changes, get some more young guys in there. So on, at noon on Wednesday, uh, I'm reading from my story in the Green Bay Press-Gazette, Coach Forrest Gregg wouldn't reveal his starting lineup, and he asked the press not to write about changes they observed at practice. Okay. When a reporter said he wouldn't abide by that, and I think that's me, but I can't be certain of that, but I think it's me. Greg said practice was closed. Media members have been allowed at practice throughout Greg's two and a half year tenure. But then after giving the issue further consideration, Greg said he wouldn't ask reporters to compromise themselves. The practice was open to accredited members of the media. So then on Thursday in my story, they made four lineup changes um, and that were obvious at practice on Wednesday and I reported it. I, so going to the bench were free safety Tom, Tom Flynn, strong safety John Sullivan, left outside backer Jeff Shue and center Bill Cherry. Household names, auntie. In their place, Kenny Stills at free safety, the great Tiger Green at strong safety, Timmy Harris at left outside backer, and Carl Swanke, the old professor at center. Okay, so coming off the practice field Wednesday, I went up to Dale Lindsay, the old brown linebacker who was coaching the packed linebackers, and I asked him about the changes. He said, hell, we're 0-6. We're not winning with the folks we have on the field. Love Dale Lindsay. So anyway... <laughs> 
So, you know, let me just mention this. All around the league, when I got on the thing, no, the deal was practices were generally open in every city throughout the league in the regular season, as well as training camp. Everything was open. You could report lineup changes and injury problems, but you could not report trick plays. Okay. And that's the way it was. You're working on a throwback screen or you're working on an onside kick. All that's off. No report. But lineup changes, yes, that's why we're at practice. Um, and we held to that, and we had all kinds of problems with Holmgren and Rhodes and Sherman, Tom Silverstein and myself, and Daryl Ledbetter, and on and on, all the guys on the beat. And then, uh, and then all this shit. So now none of them are open. They're open for about the first half hour, 15 minutes nowadays around the league. And none of that gets reported until the information guys or something like that work their magic on weekends, generally speaking. Um, I don't know. I'm not on that beat anymore. But so <clears throat> let's talk about this game. Green Bay would go on to a 4-12 and record. They're worse since 1958. The Browns would finish 12-4 and and lose the AFC title game to the Broncos 23-20 in overtime. Now, is that the drive with Elway? Probably, huh? 86. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's see. Oh, and by the way, just how bad it was. During the fifth consecutive loss of the season, they lost to the Bengals in Milwaukee, and several fans wore grocery bags in County Stadium over their heads. How about that? The forerunner to the Aints. Um, so Forrest, then after this Brown game, he, he dumped Sullivan and Flynn. Flynn couldn't believe it when I interviewed him that night. But anyway, so 76,438 at the Mistake by the Lake Municipal Stadium. It was my first time there. It was the pack's biggest upset victory on the road since 75 when Bart Starr's first team beat Dallas. Wow, that was a shocker. Um, Packers won at 17-14. Brian Noble and a linebacker in a boisterous locker room said, it feels like we got into the playoffs. I was waiting for some champagne. I forgot what it was like to win a football game. Uh, Bernie Kosar was the leader. And uh, Tiger deflected one of Bernie's passes, 50 seconds left to clinch it. Um, so the one other thing I'll mention, <clears throat> the press box was <laughs> pretty rickety. And... They said the visiting, the visiting locker room was across the way. You had to fight your way through the concourse to get down there. But the head coach's interview would be in this little room right where all the fans were walking. So I was like in a panic. I couldn't find it. Tyler, this is the craziest cavern, cavernous little goofy, right where all the fans are walking in this walkway. There's this little door that entered into this little makeshift room. And you go in there, it's like entering into a little trailer. I mean, a little, you know, pop-up trailer, probably only like six and a half, seven feet high. Everybody yeah. was just crowded in there. You wouldn't want to be in there during COVID, I'll tell you. And no, there's no tape recorder. So everybody's had to be writing notes, you know. So I finally found it. And now Forrest comes in there. And there's TV cameras jostling the Green Bay and Milwaukee TV cameras are in there. And it's really tight. And Forrest, uh, 
his eyebrows were twitching. You know, he couldn't believe it. Now he had coached there, but he had never been in this room before, but he was all happy. And so that was it. So that was the craziest interview room I ever saw. And they beat the Cleveland Browns 17 to 14. That was a shocking victory. That's it T for the memory for this. Week. I love it. I love it. I had a flashback to uh might have been the first game I covered on the on the beat officially with you guys at the Journal Sentinel, first regular season game. Played the Saints to open the 2011 season. I took like a wrong turn. I was finishing like getting a story in right at the gun. So I had to like run down to the locker room to meet you guys down there after. I took a wrong turn and I just remember running against the tr- the flow of the fans leaving the game at Lambeau, like around that spiral, huge staircase that goes outside the stadium. And I don't know how I found my way to you. So th- times changed from then till 11. All right, Tyler, I want to bring this up. I'm amazed you didn't bring it up. Your first game with us was 2011, an exhibition game. Where was that at? Cleveland. I- you bet. And I'm right. You, you, Tom and me, right. Tom Silverstein, our bud. And I remember getting out of that car in the uh, parking lot, just to the West. We got there really early for some crazy reason. And I remember saying to you, well, Tyler, this is going to be your first NFL game as a full-time beat writer. And there's going to be hundreds and hundreds more. Do you remember that at all? I do. I do. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. I remember that like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to beat those pre exhibition games too. Um, Thank you. It's quality, quality football. <laughs> Your uh, favorite. Pack lost that one. 27, 17 before 57,000 at, uh, what was it? Paul Brown stadium or something. I don't know what who it's could, called. Who could forget. I kind of want to pull it up now here. Let's uh, not that's, that's, that's a big game. That's it. What, oh, you know what? That? that was on my birthday. That's right. August 13th. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, oh yeah, 27-17. Peyton Hillis punched in a three-yard touchdown on that evening. No box scores available. The Colt what McCoy the name of the got the win. What was the name of the stadium? I think Cleveland Brown Stadium, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, you're right. Yeah, right. That's it. I think they changed it now, so, maybe, but. Anyways, all right, that was fun. Thanks so much, Bob, and thanks everybody for listening. Any any final thoughts on Christmas? Just glad, to have, uh, glad to have these New Yorkers uh, experience your wonderful brand of journalism, Tyler. And uh, boy, I hope they stay with us. Too kind. Th- thank you so much. And uh, as as Bob said, thank you everybody for working this into your busy, busy lives. We don't, we don't take it for granted. We want to make it worth your time. So we will have more stories, more podcasts, more of everything. Let us know in the comments section, what you think, um, your thoughts on the game, the season, what you want out to go along. We're always open to everything you have to offer. All right, Bob, we'll see you uh, next week. Yep. Thanks a lot.